0: Thank you, Dennis. My name is David G. I'm a grateful recovered sexaholic. I have a sobriety date in essay of uh, October 1st of 2019. However, I have been a uh, member of another fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous since August 8th of 1994. I've been an active member of that program for all those years. I've been very blessed to uh, have some of uh, some of the best guys mentor me and sponsor me through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous over the years. Uh, my earliest mentor was Charlie of Joe and Charlie. I met Charlie in 1998 at a uh, midwinter conference in Oklahoma City. I'd listened to his story at that time. I was looking to uh, get more in depth with the big book about Alcoholics anonymous. I'd already had a small taste of what it had to offer and I wanted more. And so they sent me to this man. I had no idea who he was. <clears throat> we visited for a little while. He became my sponsor. And through what he taught me and the experience I had in the big book and through his tapes with Joe, who became a very good friend of mine as well. I ended up uh, being able to uh, to get sober and stay sober and have a spiritual experience that that has lasted uh, from then to now. However, we do know, you know, with just a few years into that, lust returned and, uh, you know, it's you know the story. I'm not here to tell my story today. So I would just like to, uh, before we start out, just say, first of all, thank you all for asking me to do this. I've done a number of studies over the years in Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, <clears throat> you know, with different groups, uh, also with conferences. The last one i done was in September of, of 2019 when I was at the bottom with my lust. And that was a weekend that uh, I wish not to repeat ever in my life again. I was at the Tri-State Conference and... Um, It went really bad. That's when disclosure happened and discovery and uh, it was just real bad. In fact, I had vowed to never do another big book study as long as as Life existed. Uh, I just didn't want to do it anymore. However, after coming to SA and coming over here and and getting into uh, some of the SA literature and also particularly the the book uh, Step Into Action that's coupled along with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I began to uh, apply what I had learned and, and In a small, in a short time, you know, I found myself uh, really starting to recover from lust and sexual acting out. That's something I never thought that would happen for me. I got free of some resentments, and at that time, I went back and and started dedicating the work to the Big Book again and taking guys through it as well. And it's been a great experience ever since. I just want to say that I am not the guru of Alcoholics Anonymous or the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do I uh, do I have a any medical history as a doctor, psychiatrist, or any of that. I'm just an old drunk, and I'm also a lust addict who has found a way to recover. Feel free to agree or disagree with anything I say about the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, I encourage you very sincerely, if there's something I say that does not coincide with the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, please disregard that, because I don't want anything but the message of the Big Book to be there, because that's what saved my life. So right away, I would like to jump into our book study. That's enough about me and the introduction. In August of uh, 1994, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I got sober, and I had been sober for about a year without any drink. I had—I was an untreated alcoholic. I was sitting in the rooms dying. <clears throat> I, uh, My youngest son, who was six years old, had drowned at that time, and it, it was just a bad, I was in a bad place. And uh I was going to drink. I had a premeditated drunk planned out. I stopped by the liquor store one day and I was going to call, but instead I picked up the phone and I made a phone call and I got a hold of a fellow who was schooled in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he began to talk to me about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I'd been around for nine months, and so I thought I knew a lot that there was to know about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, he did What he did for me that day was something that no one had ever done. He convinced me that there was a difference between the fellowship and the program. He said, the program is outlined in the book and the fellowship is the unity that we share with each other. So as time went on, I asked him, would he be willing to take me through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and he agreed. He said, do you have a big book? And I said, I have. He said, have you read it? I said, I have. He said, I would like for you to open up to the first page in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to page one of Bill's story. He said, no, that's not the first page. I want you to go to the first page. So I went to the contents. He said, that's not the first page. He said, do you even have a big book? Now this time I'm getting aggravated with this man very much. So uh, anyway, what, what finally happened was if, if you will open up to your book in, in the very first page, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it should look somewhat like this, a blank page. And whenever, He did that, I became very aggravated with this man because there was nothing on that page. However, he told me that's what you know about the program about Alcoholics Anonymous, absolutely nothing. You know a lot about the fellowship, you seem to know a lot about the sayings, you can recite how it works under your tongue in meetings, I've heard you do it, but you're dying of alcoholism and you're sober. And he said, that's untreated alcoholism. And so that's what he did for me that day. After the blank page, if you'll open it up to the next page, it says Alcoholics Anonymous, that's where we're at. And the page over from that contains the very first promise in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it should look something like this if you have a fourth edition book. Alcoholics Anonymous, this says, this is the story of how many thousand men and women have recovered, not recovering, recovered from alcoholism. Not from alcohol, from alcoholism. We're not here to recover ever from, from behavior, to sexual acting and now what can recover from all ism, there's a big difference. I had a friend that robbed a pharmacy. He was shot in the chest with a 38. He recovered from that gunshot, but I promise you, he's not bulletproof today, and that's uh, the same way as it is with us. So the very first promise in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells us this is the story of how many thousand men and women have recovered, not recovering, and I will hit on that a lot as we go through it. So as you look over to the next page, you see the contents, that's going to give an outline as we're going to do it in the weeks to come. We're going to look at the preface, the forward to the first, second, third, and fourth edition. We're going to look at the doctor's opinion very closely. We're going to see physically that we are somewhat different than other folks whenever it comes to uh, lust and sexual acting out. Now, this, now this study will be geared at, at lust and sexual acting out. If you have other addictions, we welcome you, but this will be what we, uh, what we uh, are here for. Also after that, we'll take a look at Bill's story. There is a solution more about alcoholism. That'll all be step one. Every bit of that work through there will be step one. After that, we'll look at chapter four. We agnostics that whole chapter is devoted to step two. Chapter five, how it works contains the uh, directions on how to work steps three and four. After that, we will get into action and that will take us into um, steps five through uh, 11. Uh, working with others will be entirely devoted to step 12 after that, after the spiritual awakening has taken place as a result of doing the work. And they will then begin to look at the wives, the family, after the employers and a vision for you. So if you'll flip on over as you come to the preface, that's where we'll begin today. It says, this is the fourth edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. The first edition appeared in April of 39th. In the following 16 years, more than 300,000 copies went into circulation. The second edition published in 55 reached a total of more than 1,150,500 copies. I always like to look at how the hand of God is moving right through here. It also says uh, the third edition, which came off the press in 76, achieved a circulation of approximately 19,550,000 in all of its formats. And that's what I sobered up on was a third edition. Because this book, not because of the meetings, not because of anything else, because the book has become the basic text for our society and has helped such large number of sexaholic men and women to recovery. There is this a strong sentiments against any radical changes being made in it, therefore, the first portion of this volume, and we're talking about the first 164 pages of this book right here, the first portion of the volume, the first 164 pages describing the AA recovery program, not my program, not a program, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I hear that in meetings all the time. I used to say it myself quite often. My program got me here and the program is what has kept me here. So the program has been left untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third and fourth edition The section called The Doctor's Opinion has been kept intact just as it was originally written in 39 by the late William D. Silkworth, our society's great medical benefactor. Now we'll be looking close at Dr. Silkworth because this is the man for the first time in history who figured out that what goes on inside of us is somewhat different than what goes on inside of other people. In fact, he'll talk about it quite in depth in his story. We'll be able to take and personalize that and look at it in our own experience and we will be able to see right away if we are physically and mentally different than the average person whenever it comes to uh, the addiction that that we suffer from. Bottom paragraph, the second edition added the appendices, the 12 traditions and the directions for getting in touch with AA. Here's a very important sentence in this book that I like to pay attention to. But the chief change was in the section of the personal stories. And this is the only reason that the personal stories are in the back of the book. I don't bash those stories. I'm glad they're there. In those days, you couldn't jump on Zoom and make a meeting. You couldn't run a block and a half away and go to a meeting. If you were out somewhere and you had nowhere to go and the obsession was on you, your meeting was in the back of the book and the story. However, this is the only reason that it is there to expand and reflect the fellowship's growth. Nothing more than that. <coughs> Bill's story, Dr. Bob's Nightmare, and one other personal history from the first edition was retained intact. Three were edited, and one of these were retitled. New versions of uh, completely uh, two stories were written with new titles. 30 completely new stories was added, and the story section was divided into three parts of the same headings that are used now. So in the third edition, part one, Pioneers of AA was left unchanged. Nine of the stories in part two, they stopped in time, was carried over from the second edition. Eight new stories were added in part three, they lost nearly all and eight stories were retained, five others uh, were added. Now the fourth edition, which we have in our hand today, it will include the 12 concepts, World Service and uh, revises uh, the three sections of personal stories as follows. One new story has been added to part one and two that originally appeared in part three have been repositioned there. Six stories have been uh, deleted. Six of the stories in part two have carried over and 11 new ones have been added and 11 taken out. Part three now includes 12 new stories. Eight were removed in addition to the two that were transformed in part one. But here's the most important part of this page. All changes made over the years in the big book, AA's member's fond nickname for this volume has had the same purpose no other purpose than this sentence right here. To represent the current membership, not the program, the membership of Alcoholics Anonymous more accurately and thereby more reach more alcoholics, in our case today, sexaholics. If you have a, a lust and acting out problem, and that's the way we're going to go with this most of the way through this book. If you have that problem, I feel there should be a question mark there. That's a question that I should deeply ask myself. Do I have this problem? We hope that you may pause and reading one of the 42 personal stories. And in our book, we like to look at it as reading the text and think. Now, look at these questions very carefully, because before I will go any further with a new man, this is something we have to absolutely be sure on. Has that happened to me? Yes or no? More important, yes, I have felt like that. We want to take a deep look at that are the most important question that we're gonna ask ourselves before we ever begin this work together. And I believe this program can work for me too. If there's anything that a man has that he feels like can help him outside of the 12 steps, as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm not able to help with that. The message that I have to carry comes from the book. It comes from my experience with the book. I, I, don't, I don't have any uh, I don't have any experience with anything else other than that. So with that being said, we're gonna to go to the, the forward uh, to the first edition and uh, we'll, we'll begin right there. Forward to the first edition. This is the forward as it appeared in the, in the first printing of the first edition in 39. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered. First promise on that page. We have recovered. We're not recovering. We're not struggling. We're not any of that. We have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. They did not recover from alcohol. We have not recovered from being able to go do whatever we want to do with sex and lust and sexual acting out, but we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind. The insanity that drives us back to relapse over and over and over. We have also recovered from a hopeless state of body. We will see more and learn more about that as we get into the doctor's opinion, which will probably be next week or the week after. But I like to pay very close attention right here. We have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other sexaholics precisely, precisely how we have recovered. Not recovering is the main purpose of this book. So, if there's any other, if there is any other purpose for this book other than to show us precisely how to recover, there would be no point in me being in it. But since it tells me that, that the main purpose of this book is going to be to precisely show me how they recover. And if I will do the things that they've done, then to recover would be uh, as possible for me as well. Now, I like to say right here, I, please don't ever get the word recover mixed up with the word cure or cured. A lot of people are afraid of the word recovered because they see a lot of people say that and they go back and relapse again and again and again and again. We're not talking about being cured. The book makes it very very plain that we're not cured what we have is a daily reprieve, but it's talking about recovered from a state of mind, the insanity that drives me to go back to that internet, to get on that phone, to get on that chat room, to do whatever I do, a hopeless state of mind that always, always takes it away. That's what we recover from. He says, for them, we hope that these pages, not these meetings, not any of them, but these pages in this book will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think that this account of our experiences, not our knowledge, not any of that, will help everyone to better understand the sexaholic. Many do not comprehend that the sexaholic is a very sick person. I didn't comprehend how sick I was when I got here as well. So how could uh, you know I, anyone else? It says, besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. So if you're here today with another addiction, we welcome you. Right here, this sentence tells me, we are sure that our way of living through these 12 steps as outlined in this book has its advantages for all, not just a few of us. Now it's important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication. Being mostly business or professional folk, we would not well carry on our occupation in such an event. We would like it understood that our alcoholic work is an avocation. Above the word work, we always put the word service and above avocation, we always put the word hobby, hobby because our service work is just that, it's a hobby. When writing or speaking publicly about sexaholism, we urge each of our fellowship to admit his personal name, designating himself instead as a member of Sexaholics Anonymous. Very earnestly, we ask the press also to observe this request, for otherwise we shall be greatly handicapped. We are not an organization in the conventional sense of the word. (laughs) There are no dues or fees whatsoever. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. That should be a question mark behind that sentence right there for me. Personally, I want to take a look at that. Do I have a honest desire to stop lusting and sexually acting out? If you look at the third traditions in most clubhouses today, in the short form in the back of your book, I believe it's on page 562, it will tell you today that the only requirement for a membership is a desire to stop lusting. The word honest has been taken out. In those days it was there. So that becomes a question for me that that I very much need to answer before moving on with the rest of the work in the book. We're not allied with any particular faith, sect, or denomination. Thank God for that. Nor do we oppose anyone. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. For me there was another question mark in this book do I feel that I'm afflicted so much that I need the help of these people and this book in order for me to recover after sitting with that for a little while and looking at my experience not what my head had to say about it the answer was absolutely yes we shall be interested to hear from those who are getting results from the book nothing more the book particularly those who have commenced work with other alcoholics we should be like to be helpful in such cases inquiry by scientific In our book, we always write mind above that, the word medical, we always put the word body above that, the word religious, we always put the word spirit above that, body, mind, body, spirit, mind, body, spirit. And as we go through this book, that's how we will look at it in order to recover, we will look at the body, the mind, and the spirit, body, mind, spirit. It says those societies will be welcome forward to the second edition figures as it was given as the forwards described the fellowship in 1955. I would like to take a really close look at these few paragraphs. I think these are skipped over a lot in meetings and book studies. And I think this is very important information. I can look at these two paragraphs and I can see absolutely how the hand of a loving God, a creator, or whatever you wish to call him or her was absolutely in the middle of this thing and guided it to where it's at today. Look at this. Since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. Our earliest printing voiced the hope that every sexaholic who journeys will find the uh, the, uh, fellowship of alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. Already continues the early text, twos, threes, and fives of us have sprung up in other communities. And I guarantee the, that's been your experience as well. If you are a sponsor in Sex, Sexaholics Anonymous, if you have led men, men through these steps and they have had an awakening as a result of that, you can bet that they have passed that on to somebody else. And twos and threes and fives have sprung up in other communities, other states and other countries, and we have began to recover, not recovering. Next paragraph, 16 years has elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 55 of our second edition. Look at this, in that brief space, in that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous the mushroom into nearly 6,000 groups. You tell me that that's anything other than the hand of God and I will have to disagree with you wholeheartedly. Our membership is far above. Look at this promise right here. 150,000 recovered, not recovering, recovered alcoholics. My God, that sends chill bumps up and down through me because up until this time, people had always died. There there was no answer for this ever since men had first crushed grapes. So, or we had lived with it ever since men had first crushed grapes, I'm sorry. Groups are to be found in each of the US, all the providence of Canada. AA has flourishing communities, the British Isles, Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and Hawaii. all told, promising beginnings have made in some 50 foreign countries and U.S. possession, some are just now taking shape in Asia. Many of our friends encourage us by saying this is but a beginning, only the artery of a much larger future ahead. I went to my sponsor and I told him, I said, you told me that every word and every sentence in this book related to me and my experience. I don't have any experience with that at all, and I doubt you do either. And he said, I'd like for you to read that again very closely. What that tells me is anywhere you go in the world, there is a meeting of sexaholics, anonymous, alcoholics, anonymous, whatever your problem may be, and you might ought to be in it. So don't tell me that that doesn't apply to you because it applies to you and me and everyone else. If you look very closely, that was only the beginning. Today is worldwide. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck in Akron, Ohio in June of 1935, so that's the fellowship's birthday, June 10th, 1935. During a talk between a New York stockbroker, which we know today, that man was Bill Wilson. Now I think we give him a lot of credit by calling him a stockbroker. If you look at his story very closely, he was a stock speculator. He had hung around. He had made a lot of money uh, by by fast talking to slow thinking people. He had did all these things, and. Uh, but he had found a bottom and he was able to, uh, to get sober through what happened. Now, he says, during a talk between him and the Akron physician, which was Dr. Ball. Now, six months earlier, the broker, Bill, had been relieved of his drank obsession, which for us would be lust, by a sudden spiritual experience. Following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day. Now this man's name was Ebbie Thatcher. And as we get into Bill's story here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at how Ebbie came to Bill. They were friends, they had drank together. In fact, Ebbie was one of the worst drunks Bill said that he had ever met in his life. In fact, many times Bill had said, If I ever get as bad as Ebbie, I'll quit. But Ebbie showed up, and Ebbie was sober. Now, Ebby had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day, which was an organization that was worldwide. And there were certain steps that they had took in order to recover, and this had worked for Ebby. Apparently, Ebby was sitting at his kitchen table two months sober. Now, this had a great, great impact on Bill because Bill knew exactly how he was. But look at the next sentence. It says, he had also been greatly helped by the, the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism. Was now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members and whose uh, story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. From this doctor, and here's the key to it, the broker, Bill, has learned the grave nature of alcoholism. That is step one. And so for you and I to recover from sexaholism, from lust and sexual acting out, we have to know the grave nature of it. I've uh, found, I've heard many guys, and, and, I've, and I've found it a lot being said in the fellowship. You know, that, that they only have a few days sobriety, but they're at step ten. I, I just, I don't feel that, that anything could be further from the truth from that. Because I know in my own experience, just like it said right here, until I learned the grave nature of sex hallism, there was no answer there for me. I continued to resume my behavior over and over and over and over. But what had happened was Bill had been three different times to town's hospital. And this little doctor began to tell Bill what he felt was the matter with people like you and I. He said, I see you guys come in here and you do very well as long as you're here. He said, we give you the best medical attention that that was possible for that day. He said, we sober you up, you do real good. We send you back out on the street. Somehow your mind convinces you that it's okay to take a drink. In our case, it'd be okay to uh, take a lush drink. You do that. In their case, they picked up the bottle. In our case, we turn on the internet or whatever it is we do. At that point, we trigger the the phenomenon of craving that the doctor will talk about. And he says, and then you're going over and over and over. So Bill knew the grave nature of alcoholism being body and mind, not just in the mind. So Bill had two vital pieces of information, and that's what it tells us right here. First off, he had, he had had an experience following a meeting with a friend who had been in the com- contact with the Oxford groups that day. So Bill already knew what the solution was. He knew what the problem was because he had learned that from Dr. Silver. Now, Bill wasn't focused on that. What Bill was focused on was this flash of light experience that he had had in the town's hospital. In fact, this is what he went back and tried to give everybody, and nobody would take it. Once he stopped doing that, let's watch what happened and what will happen for you and I as a result if someone will come at us with this kind of information right here. It will be possible for us to recover, not just get sober. It says, though he could not accept all the tenants, in other words, the principles of the Oxford group, Bill couldn't accept all of that. He was convinced of a few things, and here it is. The need for moral inventory, we know today that that is step four. Confession of personality defects, we know today that that's step five. Restitution to those harmed, we know today that that's step nine. Helpfulness to others, we know that that's step 12. Necessity and belief in and dependence upon God, we know that to be steps two and three. So necessity of belief in and, there's more, dependence upon God. It's not enough for me just to believe in God. I need to have the dependence upon him as well. And that's where I fell short over and over and over. So this is what Bill did. Prior to his journey to Akron, Bill had worked hard with many alcoholics us sexaholics on the theory that only a sexaholic could help a sexaholic, but he'd only kept succeeded in, in keeping sober himself. Bill was going around town in New York City, dragging these guys off the bar stools, taking them to meetings. He was taking people to meetings that didn't even want to go. He was trying to get them sobered up. Nobody was getting sobered up. They kept relapsing over and over and over and over, and he was getting discouraged. And uh, so, uh, what had happened was he went back to the little doctor and he said, I, I don't understand this. He said, you know, I'm giving them everything I got and nobody's getting sober. And he said, no, but you're staying sober. That's the difference. But what he told Bill was very vital and it would probably set up what would happen in our fellowship throughout the rest of history. He said, why don't you quit telling them about this white light experience that you had in Towns Hospital. Quit telling them about this flash of light, this spiritual experience. You go to them and you talk to them about the allergy contained within your body. What happens to you once you put it in? What happens to you once you take it out? How the insanity comes to you. Go at them with that. Then after they have had a little bit of sober time behind them, then come at them with a spiritual solution. And I think that you will have a much better chance of reaching folks. And so it was. So let's look at who his uh, very first person that he tried this with and worked (laughs) turned out to be. It said, the broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed, leaving him in greatly in fear that he might start acting out again. Have you ever had that fear in your life that you may start acting out again after you've had a little bit of sobriety time behind you? If you've had that fear or if you have that fear, look at this very next sentence carefully because here is your answer. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, and I promise you, when I'm in that state of mind, I'm worried about one person and that's me. I'm here to save me. He suddenly realized in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another sexaholic. the alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician, Dr. Bob. Now let's put ourselves, let's look at this personally. Let's take a look at this as us. In fact, where it says the physician, I've got David wrote above the physician. The physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his sexaholic dilemma, but had failed. In your life, in your personal life, let me ask you the question, have you repeatedly tried spiritual means over and over and over to get sober and that failed? Well, it's no different here. It said, but when the broker, talking about Bill W., Gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the grave nature of step one. It says the physician, Dr. Bob, which and, and like me, when the man brought that to me, this is what I did. I began to pursue the spiritual remedy for the malady with a willingness I'd never been able uh, to muster before. This says in our book that he sober, never drank again up to the moment of his death in 1950, and that is a promise. That's what happened for Dr. Bob. Now, Bill was uh, surprised to learn. Dr. Bob had already been in the hospital group. Dr. Bob already knew the program of action. But what Dr. Bob did not know was about the physical allergy, the information that Dr. Silkworth had given to Bill back over in the town's hospital. So when he gave this to uh, to Bill, and Bill went and gave this to Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob sobered to never drink again, in our case, never to lust again. And I've had this happen with a lot of guys that I've worked with since being over here. They've been in the program for a long time. They've read the book. They understand the steps. They know what's going on. But when we get into the grave nature of, of, of the problem, then they begin to pursue with a uh, uh, spiritual remedy for the malady with a willingness they'd never... Or been able to muster. But also what that tells me right there is Dr. Bob had the rest of the steps. He just did not have a first step experience because he did not know what was wrong with him. I, I've often visualized this. Here is a New York stock speculator con man sitting here telling this doctor what is wrong with him. Now I've been to a lot of doctors. In fact, I'm gonna see one tomorrow with my foot. Now, I promise you, I'm not gonna go there to tell him what's wrong with him. Most likely I'm going there to get the information for him to tell me what's wrong with me. And so I can see this happening right here. And uh, it's just amazing how this took place. It says, this seemed to prove that one sexaholic could affect another as no non-sexaholic could. But it also indicated and this is the one reason that I do this and have done this for all these years in the fellowship and the program. Strenuous work, one alcoholic with, a, with another, one sexaholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. The word vital jumps out to me very, very strongly. And it didn't say permanent sobriety, it said permanent recovery. And that's absolutely what I'm interested in. <clears throat> so once this happened, it says, hence, the two men had set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving the ward of the Akron City Hospital. Now, up until this time, Bill had always went with a flash of light experience. But we know from the book and from the reading and from the history that he had, he had collapsed on a, on a business venture. He was left in the Mayflower Hotel. He looked down the hall and he looked into a bar and he said, I think I'll step in there long enough just to have a few drinks with some people of my own kind. And as he started to cross, Sanity returned to him and he said, what about those other alcoholics? And he said, oh, the others. And so he picked up the phone and he made a few phone calls and he came into contact with a lady named Henrietta Cyberly. Henrietta said, I do have a guy I would like for you to talk to, absolutely. And they they referred him to Dr. Bob. She called right away over to Ann Smith, answered the phone and then said, well, you know, it's Mother's Day and, and he showed up with a potted plant and now he's potted underneath the table. He's not gonna be up until morning. So the next morning he got up and Dr. Bob said, you know, and stayed on him until he finally went to see Bill. They talked about it for just a few minutes and uh, Bob had agreed to give Bill 15 minutes of his time. They ended up talking till late in the day when Bob came out and he said, this is the first man that I've ever talked to really knows what he's talking about whenever it comes to the disease. So once this had happened, It says, hence the two men set to work almost frantically up on alcoholics arriving in the ward of the Akron City Hospital. Their very first case, a desperate one. I always put a question mark right there and ask myself that question. Do I still have the gift of desperation today? And the willingness to do this work as I did whenever i showed up here 11 months ago. And I can tell you absolutely, yes, I do. Uh, But look what happened. He recovered immediately. He, did, he didn't just get sober, he recovered immediately and he became AA number three. And this is the man named Bill Dotson, D-O-D-S-O-N. In clubhouses all over the world, you will see two men sitting beside the man on the bed. That's who this is. And uh, he, he was AA number three. This work uh, at Akron continued through the summer of 35. There were many failures, but there was occasional hardening success. When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually been formed, though no one realized it at the time. A second small group uh, promptly took shape in New York to be followed in 37 by the start of a third at Cleveland. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics, sexaholics, who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York and who was trying to form groups in other cities. One of the most beautiful promises in this forward, as far as I can ever tell. By late th- 1937, the numbers of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world. The alcoholic. what a beautiful promise that that is and that has turned out to be. One more paragraph and I'll stop. It was now time the struggling groups thought to place their message in unique experience, as a promise, before the world, This determination bore fruit in the spring of 39 by the publication of this volume. Everything's going to change after this event right here. The membership then had reached about 100 men and women. The fledgling society, which had been nameless, and please pay very close attention to this, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. The fellowship didn't even have a name until the book came along. So it's amazing that I go to a lot of meetings and a lot of different things to where the book is very rarely even discussed. The flying blind period, had ended. That's what I'm looking for to happen in my life and essay. And sure enough, it did. And we've entered a new phase of our pioneering time. I'll stop right there until next week. And I'm just, uh, I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to share with you here today. I hope you're able to take something away uh, with you there. Again, if I've said anything that doesn't coincide with the big book of AA, please disregard any, any bit of that. But, uh, but I thank you, and I'm looking forward to doing this study over the next uh, several weeks. I know that the forward sometimes can be kind of boring, but once we get out of that, the meat of it really begins to open up in the doctor's opinion. Step one. There are 88 pages in the first six chapters that lay out the directions To recover in the first 11 steps. 43 of those pages are on step one. So when I hear somebody say I do step one 100% every day, that's almost scary for me. However, that's your experience. That's your experience. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, Thank you so much, everybody, for letting me share. I'm glad to be here.